0: I'm Carlo, one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. We all love to hear stories, right? I mean, it's been part of our culture ever since people were writing down little stories on the caveman walls, up through New York Times, bestsellers, and then onto the 3D Dolby surround sound, Terminator, Genesis. I mean, it's like stories everywhere, and even our own stories. We love to share and hear each other's life stories. I particularly like to hear about how that life story interacts with the spiritual our spiritual journey. I, we can't hear everybody's here today, but I'd like to introduce uh, one of my friends here, Ed. Ed's going to share with him uh, or with us uh, a story of his journey. so welcome him up here, Ed Chatterton. So Ed and I have been in the same home group for six years or so and uh, gotten to know his story. And uh, so Ed, but tell us, tell us, just ground us a little bit. What's, how does it start?
1: Okay. Well, I'm the oldest of six, raised in a military family, moved all over the place, went to four different high schools, uh, spent some time in the late 60s, early 70s, doing what most everybody else did in the late 60s, early 70s, which was uh, rebel against everything, Grew my hair real out, about real long. Hitchhiked across the country a bunch of different times. Uh, Got pretty strung out on drugs. uh, Made my personal best uh, clean and sober thirty-six hours once. Wow. uh, And that took a sincere effort of will, and it didn't last very long. So that's where, uh, that's what I was doing. Okay.
0: Wow. Quite a story. Uh, Tell us. Where where did Jesus interject into the into the story? When when did that happen?
1: Okay, I was uh, in Tempe, Arizona at the time, and uh, was uh, one of the I guess uh, long-haired, kind of a scruffy-looking, street sort of person, and uh, was panhandling change on the campus at ASU, and this. Uh, Jesus freak girl, who I did not know was a Jesus freak girl at the time, gave me a dollar. And since she was cute and redheaded, I thought, well, I'm going to talk to her and see what happens. And she began to start talking to me about Jesus. And uh, those of you who do share your testimony, share it in power, share it in love. And uh, you may get to see what she saw as she began to talk. It was like the heavens opened up, and I had a vision. I saw myself. I went flying through space like a comet, fire, everything burn off of me, and I stop totally naked at the base of the throne of God. And I knew if I looked up, I would be dead because I would see him for who he is. And then he said to me, So now what are you going to do? And uh, so immediately I just repented and crying like a baby in a big old heap on the lawn. I could take you to the spot. And uh, this girl shared, um, as I told her my experience, she said, okay, we need to get you to some brothers. There's a place where you can live, move out of this immoral relationship you're in. And um, at that moment, it was the choice. God said, here I am, join me or not. And I had no choice but to join him.
0: Wow, that's powerful. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> tell us, what's it like to look like since then? I'm sure every day wasn't that that same
1: kind of experience, but. Uh, no, no. It's uh, uh, but the reality of of the truth of Christ never left, uh, has stood beside me through uh, and and strengthened me through marriages uh, through my marriage, one marriage, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where are you, Jenny? Okay, I better be sure. Um, (laughs) Parenting, uh, spent a lot of time in a lot of churches, served in a number of different capacities there. Uh, And those of you who have been Christians long for a while realize that there are times when Jesus will take you places you really didn't want to go, right? Mm. He's walked you to places and through things that uh, uh, if when you first met him, if you knew that was coming, you, you you may have thought twice. But you know what? he is true, he is real. Uh, he did not, he rescued me and has stayed the anchor and the reality of life through everything Yeah. at that moment.
0: Amen. That's a good story. Thank you, Praise the Lord. Thank you Ed. Yeah. Ed's quite a, a blues-based player, so I'm sure he was getting right into that. Jesus is by my side. He's my all-in-all, all, right? That's, that's the story. We're going to turn to another story, an uh, ancient one that takes place and has a similar uh, plot to it. It's in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. That's where we've been uh, this last several months going through there. And we're looking at the story of uh, a man named Saul. But first, uh, let me set the stage. On the, on the outskirts of the Roman Empire... In this little podunk place nobody knows about, a Savior is born, Jesus Christ the Lord. He grows up in obscurity, spends three years going pell-mell to and fro throughout Israel, preaching, loving people, healing the sick, when all of a sudden his whole mission is cut short by a horrific death being nailed on a cross, stabbed with a spear, Should be the end of story, and a sad one at that, right? But what happens? A couple months later, his followers show up telling everybody that, no, Jesus is not dead anymore, and not only so, but he is the king of the universe, he's seated at the right hand of God, and all power and authority on heaven and on earth are his. We're coming to tell you the good news about this. Wow. Wow. That's radical. He's given them his spirit, which has given them power to do the miraculous, to be, to be preaching in the face of all kinds of persecution, They're themselves being hunted and, and, and living in community, trying to be generous, sharing, just living a totally different life from the, those around him. They claim Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And that can get you killed. Now, the religious authorities, they think this whole thing is a sham. It's smoke and mirrors, and they they know we've got to crush this because it's gaining ground, and and it's going to start ruining the Jewish faith, and it's going to deceive many people, and and Rome is going to come down on us. All the the apostles have kind of hunkered down in Jerusalem, but everybody else has fled. They've gone into the the Samaritan countryside, they've gone either even further to distant countries. But wherever they go, they'll they'll connect with the local synagogues. And within the synagogues, they'll start telling people that Jesus is the king. King Jesus is all. In the distinguished city of Damascus, which is where uh, present-day Syria is, that war-torn, terrorized place. Back then, the city of Damascus was a crossroads of all kinds of trade to Europe, to Asia, and down to Africa. So it was kind of a perfect battleground for the message of Jesus to either spread or be quenched. It's here that that uh, the... Jews send their kind of their heavy hitter. This man named Saul, he's from a Greek town called Tarsus. He's got Roman citizenship which gives him the ability to move around easily within all the different lands. He knows numerous languages. He's very well educated. He's a religious expert and he's so full of zeal. He's so full of passion for his God that he will stop at nothing to end this Jewish little group of 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 Christians called the Way. He he's going to even travel 150 miles with a group, which is about the same as going from uh like here down to Olympia, okay, by foot in the heat of the day. He is committed. He's got these letters. From the chief priests. And these letters give him authority to take any Christians he finds and haul them off to Jerusalem, where they will be imprisoned and hopefully executed. We all have stories that start a little bit like this. And by that I mean we all have stories that are BC, before Christ. For some, it may be really a radical, uh, you know, diversion from the story of Jesus. Some may be like Ed's. You know, for others, it might be more like me in in high school where I was going my own way and uh, met Jesus. For others in this room, perhaps uh, you never knew a time when you didn't know the name of Jesus. But there was a time when... The story went from being your parents' religion to your own personal faith. Perhaps there's even some among us still today who are living in B.C. Before Christ. He hasn't entered your story yet. Well, for Saul, it was high noon when Jesus enters his story. He's walking along the road to, to Damascus, along with his companions, when suddenly a light from heaven stops him in his tracks. This blinding light, he, he hits the ground, and, and he hears this voice from heaven it says, "Saul, why are you persecuting me?" "Who are you, Lord?" says Saul. "Good question." the voice of this, this powerful being. I mean, can you imagine how Saul's feeling at this point? He, he's, he's hearing this person that he's been hunting and trying to stop. He thinks as a total imposter is now speaking to him in this commanding presence of this radiant light. That, that would be terrifying. Jesus, this celestial being now, speaks to him one more thing. He says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Well, as quickly as, as Jesus came upon him, he's gone. And Saul is left there in a heap, completely blind as a bat. His friends gathered around him, help him to his feet. They walk, I take him by the hand to Damascus, find a place to stay. And it's there that he stays for three days in utter blindness. Now imagine being Saul. You know, I mean, you're trying to compute what has just happened. Your your whole life has been heading in one direction in this trajectory. And all of a sudden you meet Jesus and... It's it's monumentally changed. It's going going to have to start going in the exact opposite direction. And just in case, you know, on second day, you wake up and you're like, maybe that was all a bad dream. You open your eyes and you can see nothing. It's as true as it ever was. I wonder what was going through his head as he considers, man, if, if I follow this Jesus, that means... That means I'm going to be hunted. I mean, what are my friends going to say? What are my family going to say? They're all going to be turning against me. What am I going to do? And then, as he thinks about the damage he's done, consider, wow, I took innocent people and had them put in chains. I separated mothers from their daughters and fathers from their sons. I was even responsible for holding the coats while these men around me threw stones at this young man, Stephen, until he was dead. And I approved of it. The weight The shame. Imagine that. Imagine asking questions. Who am I to carry this message of Jesus? What right do I have with all the damage I've done in the world? Anyone felt like that before? Look What a mess I've made of things, how can he use me? When Jesus meets us on the road to Damascus, it's generally including a confrontation. It's like the plot of our life was going one way, and Jesus comes in and he interjects a different plot for our lives. I wonder for us here today, what role does this radical, revolutionary Jesus play in our stories? What does it look like from day to day? I got into a couple of spiritual conversations this week with some disc golfers that I play with every Tuesday night. And I, I was really like all oh, brokenhearted as we talked because it was a story that I'd heard numerous times. Actually, the majority of guys out there have some sort of Christian experience, some sort of churchianity that they've been a part of. But the thing is, at some point, it just lacked significance. It just didn't seem to matter going to church for an hour a day Hour a week it was boring. It didn't seem to connect into life. Friends, can we all be on the same page here? The point is to encounter this powerful and intimate Jesus and have him change the course of our life stories. It's not about going to church, it's about life change. It's what happened to Ed. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to Saul. Many in this room, many over the cor- whole whole world. Having their lives reoriented, having their stories rewritten. So check this out. God takes this Jesus-hating, violent, racist, law-mongering murderer and makes him into a loving, gracious community-building saint. What an audacious plan. And yet, how perfect. Only God can do that. I mean, Saul, he goes on to bring the message of Jesus to the whole continent of Europe. People are finding out about the love of God, both rich and poor, speaking to the governors and kings and those oppressed under the Roman boot. Jesus not only transforms Saul's story, but he uses that very broken story as part of his testimony. You see, some of us feel like, oh man, I, after I became a Christian, I'd have, to, oh, I'd have to just hide away everything I was. And, and i feel so bad about it, nobody can ever know what I've done, what I've been through. No, check this out. Listen to what Paul writes to his fellow pastor, Timothy, in his letter. He says this, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now catch this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Boldly proclaiming it, I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, immortal, eternal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a testimony. I'm a horrible sinner. Praise God. Paul didn't let his past story define his future story. Friends, if God can use Saul's story, he can use anybody's story. If he can take this this man and, and interrupt his life, rewrite Saul's story, if he can erase the messages of hate, that he received from the high priest and turn them into some of the most lovely words ever written in his own letters to churches all around. Writing things like, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. If God can take this proud man and make him humble, this violent maniac, and make him a peaceful presence this judgmental law abider and make him a grace-filled giver, then surely he can use our stories. Surely there is no thing that he can't forgive. No place we can start and not have God change the direction of that story. Our ugly past, he can redeem, reshape, if we are willing. Last week, a member of our church named Larry came up to me after service and talked to me about an art piece that he'd worked on for a long while. He wondered if I might work out to share it sometime. And as he told me about it, I thought, wow, that actually fits really well and where I think we're going next week. He he, he told me about uh, his art with burls. Now, if you're like me, you had to Google what a burl is. A burl is something like this that grows on the side of a tree. It's an um, abnormality. It's kind of like a cancer. It's a deformed lump that grows and grows as a result of some sort of tr- stress, maybe caused by an injury, a virus or a fungus, they're kind of ugly, misshapen. Yet he took that ugly piece and he worked it, and he sanded it, and he carved it, and then he brought it to his instructor. Said, see, it's finished. And she said, uh, no. Why don't you stand a little bit here? Take a little bit off there. Carve in. Do you see that intricate mark there? Carve in there. Get into that gouge. Month after month, even year upon year, he took this burl and worked it and, and crafted it and transformed it into this piece of art that you see before you. As he completed his work, he was going to bring it to this local competition for novices. The thing was he had to have a name for it. And many had kind of joked about different opportunities from the front. It looks like bear maybe a one-eyed rabid dog, some I you know it's a spaceship, maybe a, a just ugly root. Then on his way to the competition, he was listening to some music, and he heard this song. I've been redeemed. I'm not what I used to be. And he suddenly knew the title of this work of art. Redeemed. This piece of wood, this burl, that was once an ugly abnormality, something that had been formed because of the difficulties of life on earth, being surrounded and being part of A sinful, broken world. Yet in the hands of a craftsman, it was taken and reshaped. Honed, sanded, polished, until it became this work of art. And you know what's neat is that when people see this piece, they say to the maker, good job. The maker received praise for this good work. Are we not all much like a burl? Our lives have these ugly spots, these, pots, these spots that are malformed by sin, places where where. We've just been marred and and tweaked and and done ugly things. And we come to Jesus. He doesn't make us into a brand new tree. But what he does is takes our history and he begins to mold it and craft it. Tenderly works with us day after day after day. If we are willing, He will take us and make us complete by the day we're finally in His presence. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Each one of us, God is working in, shaping our stories. So friends, the question is, will you let Jesus in? He's standing here with a big pencil and eraser, with sandpaper and some chisels, saying, will you let me in? Will you let me transform your life? Will you let me shape things that are that are historically ugly and reform you into something beautiful. Will you let me take your life and form it? He's got something much more exciting, daring. Yes, potentially dangerous, difficult, painful, but oh, the exhilaration of the completed work which we can all become. Will we let Jesus rewrite that story? You know, I'll be honest, I uh with, with a group here in, in a church in nice peaceful Bellingham, something that concerns me is that we would finish our lives with something like this on our tombstone. Born 1982, 1962, 1942, whatever. Went to church, graduated from Western, married, had kids, bought house, retired, played disc golf, died. Not much of a page turner there. Is there more to it? Do we want more out of this life? Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Brady showed us that slideshow and talked to us about legacy. Forty years, this campus ministry has been doing great work, lasting work for the kingdom. And he asked us the question, will you, have a legacy that you leave. Something more than this? Will you let Jesus restore the story in your story? I mean, he wants to add plot. He wants to bring passion. He wants to do the courageous in your life. Have you be part of His revolutionary work going on all over the world. We're all invited, and that can be part of our story. Others in this room, you've faithfully let Jesus hold the pen. You've allowed him to shape your story day after day, year after year. You've allowed him to carve, to take out, even when it hurts. You've allowed him to discipline you, to mold you, and make you. Would you hear the words from him today? Jesus wants to reaffirm your story. You're headed the right direction. Now, just don't give up. And remember this, the next paragraph of your story, he might have something new to write. The next page may go somewhere you didn't expect, if you're willing. Let him co-write it with you. Don't try and have it all figured out. He's got new things he wants to do. He's not finished with any of us. Here's what I'd like to do right now. There's bags along the edges of your aisles. And what I ask you to do is take the uh, paper that's in there and pass, it, pass the bag along. These papers you can open. They're kind of like a, a scroll. And what I'd like you to do is imagine this paper as your life Story. What's written on there? What does God want to write on there that hasn't been written yet? As the worship team comes up and plays some music, we're going to reflect on just a few questions. This isn't meant to be the end of the reflection. You could take this home and perhaps write into it more Get your computer out and think through, pray through, talk to people. Where do I want my story going? Where does God want it going? The questions that you'll see on the screen, the first one goes like this. What do you hope your life story will say by the time it reaches the words, the end? And is there anything else that's not written there yet? that God has for you? Is there something courageous? Is there something he's wanting you to participate in? What's the caliber of person you're going to be? And the second question, what does Jesus want to write into my story right now? The band will play some music and I'd invite us to just sit and let God's spirit speak. See, when Jesus died and he rose again, he didn't just leave us here to figure it out on our own. He gave the spirit to be in each one of us, to guide our lives. And he wants to speak to us even now in the stillness of this moment. For some of us, it may be a Damascus road turning where your life today needs to make a major direction change. For others, it might be a slight reorienting, course adjustment. He might have something new for you that you never would have thought. Let's be still and listen to him.